Hey, this is Tobias Summit of Avantasia, and you're listening to Behind the Vinyl. Um, we're just talking a little bit then it's finally time to have you on behind the vinyl mate so it's uh, great to have you here well great to be had (laughs) (laughs) no thanks thanks for having me (laughs) and we've kind of known each other a while so it's surprising that it's taken this long to get you on here so yeah you never asked me i'm a proud person you know i have to be asked i have to be invited I don't want to be one of those people who say, hey, hey, please have me on your show. Have me on your show, please. I don't, I'm not that desperate. <laughs> I'm a proud, I'm a proud lead vocalist with lead singer's disease. I want to be asked. I want to be begged. Of course. Well, you, you've opened Pandora's box here because we're going to ask you a lot now. You know, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm willing to. I'm an, I'm an open book. Excellent. Um, it is the release of your uh, of your brand new album with uh, Avantasia. Um, so um, we're recording it now, but it's actually we're airing it today, which is the release date. Um, congratulations. Amazing record. And I just want to start off by saying, um, you know, we're going to dig into some of the songs and we've got some, some great vocalists. But for me, uh, two songs that really stand out on this album is the, the two songs with four. Um, Amazing that you and Flora singing together. Yeah, yeah, it was overdue, and I, I wonder myself why it's been taking so long. Um, it is. It was. Um, I just had the feeling. Oh, I should work with Flora because she's such an amazing singer. And I talked to Sasha, our co-producer and guitar player, and he had worked with Flora before on uh, After Forever albums on on all of their albums. I think he produced them. And he said, oh, she's amazing in the studio. Technically, her performance, great feeling. I said, yeah, I know she's a great singer. I've heard her sing. And she does a great job in Nightwish. And uh, I said, okay, I, I'm going to ask her. And, um, and she was so open for it and, and said, yeah, yeah, uh, good idea. I, I want to do it. And uh, that it was really inspiring. I sent her, that was really funny. I sent her the song Misplaced Among the Angels. And uh, first she... She said, oh, it's a good track. It sounds a bit 80s, but are you sure this this is good for my range? My, it's a bit in a different vocal range. And I said, well, I don't think so. But um, if you think so, give me the chance to write something else. Give me a few days. I'm going to write another song. That's how I wrote Kill the Pain Away. And I sent it to her. And <laughs> the funny thing is she sent Kill the Pain Away back and said, oh, yeah, I've done it. And it's, it sounds great. And she also sent me uh, a recording of Misplaced Among the Angels along with it, and it was as great. And she said, yeah, I listened to it again. It worked. It was my range finally. So I said, okay, here you go. <laughs> so, no, but she did an amazing job. Great singer, best thing that could have happened to Nightwish. Yeah. Well, is, is, there any also, range that, is there any range that she doesn't have? Um, I don't know what she, what she would sound like on a typo negative song. But, but but I think she's she she's absolutely amazing and she's so diverse, versatile. Absolutely, is it versatile? Is that the right word? Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. And uh, and versatile. Yeah.
years you've worked with so many singers and there there's a whole bunch of singers on this one how much i mean how much do you leave it up to them to interpret the songs and or or do you coach them a lot and tell them exactly what you want or how does it usually work i'm a dictator like, no, no, <laughs> dictator sounds harsh i'm a i'm a, I'm a good king <laughs> no, no um No, seriously. Uh, I mean, when you work with people like Flo Janssen or Ralph Shapers or Jeff Tate, Michael Kiske, you name it, the best of the best. I mean, this is not just the best in their local club scene, but they are the best in, in, in music history or amongst the best. Of course, you rely on, on, on their abilities and you allow them to make it their own performance. But I have to, I don't want to blow my own trumpet uh, but I have to say that I, my imagination 
works so well that I can I can I can write stuff quite I don't know how to express it now, but when I write a song, for example, for Jeff Tate, I he's in my DNA. I've been growing up with Jeff Tate and I've been singing with him uh, along to his his songs since I was a a, a, a child, literally. And uh, so when I write for him, it's almost as he is sitting next to me and I can imagine what it sounds like if he sings it and I can already hear it in my imagination and what I hear even before it's recorded, even before I have heard Jeff sing the song, is the result of what I hear in my imagination is close to what the final result is like already. So um, I think they have the freedom to change things, absolutely. But what they do on the records is pretty close to what I give them. And um, and that's that's... That's that makes me proud because I think I can I can utilize their voice in a in a perfect way. And it's you know, Jeff Tate is a very good example because Jeff sometimes we sometimes laugh when we're on tour together and we go through a song of Avantasia and think, oh, we should do this one live. Oh, what is your part? What is my part? We sometimes can't even tell who is singing what on the recording because our <laughs> phrasings are so so similar. And and he he sometimes laughs about what laughs about it. Even you can see it on stage when he's singing songs um, that I've written uh, for him, and he's singing certain phrasings where he knows, oh, that's the phrasing that Toby had in mind. And he looks at me and he does, and he says, "I've done that in Queensrÿche a lot." It's it's like you know, it's it's very very close to what he's been doing, because I think I'm, it's just because I approach it as a fan a lot. Come again and won't reveal its name While it paints the world in shadow You try to run, but you can't get away Your body's aching, you can't move Eyes and sizes stare, feel them everywhere Raining darkness on you 
has it ever happened or has it ever happened that uh, of all the singers you've you've had on the Aventasia albums that that someone has actually done something that has you know that has really changed the song and that you've kept it like that or let me think probably so probably so um it's uh i think you know <laughs> when i <laughs> excuse me when i worked with yorn for the first time on the scarecrow album i remember i had a passage for him that was quite different uh, the second verse of the scarecrow it was much higher in the original version and yorn went in there and yorn is a freak of nature i have to say he's a force of nature and he's um are you still with me Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's is um, really funny. He went in there and he said with his Norwegian accent, "No, Toby, I don't sing like that. Mom, <laughs> I would sing it differently. That's not that doesn't sound like me at all." And I said, "Okay, Jon, what would you do? Just do it your way." And he went, "The lamb's been torn to pieces. I've been crashing from the sky, falling to care for the prey." And he did a complete freestyling thing. It was completely something very, very different to what the original version was. And Sasha and me, we looked at each other and he did a first take and he said, well, I should try something like that. And we said, like, yeah, you just sung it exactly the way it's supposed to. He's a first taker. He can right. sing anything and you can take the first version and it's perfect. But he will always say, no, no, it's not perfect. Let me do six, seven other takes. And we said, no, Jorn, it's, it's perfect. Rest your voice, have a beer, it's there. So I can remember uh, he did something entirely different.
when does um when you when you're writing a song when do you know that you're writing for a certain player like um you talked about jeff tate uh scars is obvious for jeff tate where i can't really see um jeff singing on the wicked uh wicked rule the night for example i can't see jeff singing you know i can see him but not not you know that's not his strong point that's that's really for ralph so when do you know when you're writing a song do you know before you even start writing that song Sometimes, sometimes I do. I mean, that song with Jeff that was uh, that was uh, scars was it sounded a bit like Pat Benatar, but then I heard the guitars. I imagined the guitars to have this chorus effect and a bit of a reverb. Those clean Stratocaster um, uh, chords, um, and I thought that sounds a bit like Queensrÿche, uh, Rage for Order era, a bit more commercial, maybe a bit Pat Benatar, but also a bit Queens, right? So it was obvious it would be a Jeff song. And then, then I switch into Jeff mode and then it, it becomes that heroes and tight ropes and fire. And you have this immediately, I think, what would it sound like if Jeff would do that song? And then, um, but, but that I was guided by my subconscious, I think, because at some point in this song, very early on, I realized that would be a perfect Jeff song. Sometimes, it's completely different. For example, if you go back to an album, Ghost Lights, we had that song, Seduction of Decay. And that was a song that was in the beginning, it sounded almost like a bit like a heavy version of Black Dog, of Black Zeppelin. It ain't the far cry that it seems in just a wink we come for you. It could be a Black Zeppelin, loose, bluesy song, but it was too obvious. And I said to Sasha, I have a different idea. What if we sing it like that? Like, it ain't a far cry that it's seen. And just a wink, we come for you. You may not feel it. And Sasha immediately said, oh, it sounds like Queen's right. And said, that's the point. I just tried to imagine what it would sound like if Jeff would sing it. So it was the same song, but all of a sudden it wasn't Led Zeppelin anymore. All of a sudden it was a Queen's right ripoff. <laughs> so so um, it's, it's just sometimes you write with somebody in, in the back of your head and sometimes you have a song and you let intuition take over and it becomes something different. That, that makes it exciting for me. I never know what lurks around the corner. Cool. I mean, uh, speaking of Jeff Tate and Queensryche, uh, which is your all-time favorite Queensryche album? Rage for Order. Oh, there we go. Oh. Yes. Good. Um, I, you, I have to say, I also love Operation Mindcrime. Yeah. Um, I think... The first one is great, too. Uh, I mean, I like pretty much everything that Queensryche have done with Jeff, because yeah. later on, of course, it was not as catchy. And it was um, it was they were like, look, taking a look a bit to the left and to the right. And they were further uh, people would say diluting their music yeah. with other influences. I think they were just opening up because it was getting boring. And I understand that from a musician's point of view. My favorite album is Rage for Order. And I told Jeff and he said, well, and he has this great sounding voice when he speaks. It's, it's just, he's a great guy, actually. And he's really, a lot of people don't know. He's actually very, very funny. And he has a very sweet and gentle side. He, he, he appears to be very distant when you first meet him. And a lot of people um, mm -hmm. think he's like that. But once he's opened himself up to you, and it took probably half a bottle of wine with me the first day we met. <laughs> Since that, great guy, sweet guy, funny guy. And he said in this deep voice, he said, 
Well, Toby, it's a strange record. And uh, so obviously he doesn't have that connection to Rage for Order that I have. I think it's a weird record. Absolutely. And it's a strange yeah. record, but it's strange and beautiful. And Operation Mindcrime, of course, everybody mentions this album first because the songs are so, there are so many hits on that record. And I would yeah. probably mention that as well, but I've listened to this one so often that Rage for Order at some point became the album that had not been over-listened to by myself. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
the Wicked Rule the Night. Um, it's the first time you've had Ralph, right, in Avantasia, playing with Avantasia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and this is, yeah. this is um, it's a little bit different for Avantasia and it's super heavy and it's the first lead or single as well. Um, what, was, what was the thinking behind, one, getting Ralph, two, having such a, such a heavy song for the, for the first release? Uh, getting Ralph was it was quite obvious because when I had begun to write the song and I was past the first verse, it was very obvious that I needed this type of voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it sounded like a, like a real heavy version, like a European metal version of Judas Priest. Now, this sounds funny because Judas Priest are European metal <laughs> band, but I, the European power metal version of Judas Priest, a bit like Ed Guy's Mysteria. It sounded a bit like my roots. And I thought, oh, it would be great if I had a real extreme voice there that can also sing that classic Euro power metal passage after the solo. And Ralph was the perfect, he was, he's the best of both worlds and the best combination of those two things, the extreme power metal, healthful screaming and the anthemic um, theatrical classic um, heavy metal vocalist. So. I asked him, and it was really funny because I sent him a text message and I said, Ralph, I have this song for you, um, for Avantasia. I would like, you're the only person I can imagine singing it. So this is not a request, this is an order. <laughs> and we, we have known each other before, so uh, since longer. And, uh, and he got back to me and said, okay, great, let me hear it. He heard it, nine o'clock at night. And he said, okay, give me, one, uh, give me one week. I got so much on the table, but it's such a great song. Next morning, 11 or half past 11, I got a text message. Hey, Toby, check your mails. It's done. Like this? And I listened to it, and that was pretty much his recording. Perfect. Um, why did we choose it to be the first single? Um, I think everybody, I mean, Avantasia has always been a band where people, after, ever since I released the first album, people always said, Oh, it's becoming too commercial. I don't know. You know, when we did the Scarecrow, people said it's become too commercial. But those people, they wouldn't have complained if they would have known how much more commercial we could get. So, <laughs> so no, I don't agree, actually, because I think we've always had heavy tracks. We've always had soft tracks. We've always had tracks that, remi- that were reminiscent of Meatloaf. And, and um, so I never agreed. But anyway, I thought people expect the first single to be a pop ballad without guitars uh, or whatever, because, you know, that's what people expect. The new single is going to be commercial and it's going to be pop and it's going to be radio. So I said, okay, what if we just flip the bird and, and, and just, you know, show people something that they don't expect, do something that they completely are lost with, surprise them. And I had the feeling that the quality if the quality is there and the quality is there in that particular song, I think it's Wicked Rule the Night is a very strong song. So I said, okay, if, if, the, if the song is that good, you can take that risk. People will be shocked, but um, they will still like the song or some people will at least, and people will speak about it. And that's what I thought was a good idea or why it was a good idea um, to release this as a first single. Light over skies above, clouds and blue. Memories that can't be detached from the comfort I feel. So again, my youth. 
to the first Avantasia album, to the new one. I mean, throughout all these years, you must have gotten really good at uh, logistics and, and, and getting people together and, and, and all of that. Do you agree? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's a certain routine in getting people together. And, uh, but I think still the basis of it all is respect and treating people well. I think this is the basis of so many aspects of our business and of our music. I see so many people arguing with each other and so many people having being in trouble with each other or, or in, in disagreement with each other in this business. And I think the easiest solution to all, 90% of those problems would be treating each other with respect and being nice to each other. And I think... Um, 
the logistics is, I mean, everybody uses their own brain, everybody who works with Avantasia and everybody is really keen on making it work. And yeah. it's, there's a lot of mutual respect. And then it's quite easy. We schedule things together. It's very, of course, it demands a certain level of organization. Um, but it's, if you, if you want to make this work and if you treat each other as well, then it, there is, it's way less difficult than people would imagine, I think. And right. that goes actually for so, as I said, for so many aspects of being a professional musician. It's just all these problems with people sneaking into studios at night and deleting everyone else's recorded tracks and all these stories, you know. I can't imagine how how all these arguments, disagreements, uh, how how they evolve and how it all starts because just treat each other with respect. I'm happy to be on stage with Jeff and on a record with Jeff. And I believe Jeff is happy to be on a record with, with Amtasia and me. And that's why we yeah. make it work. Well, you, you, are, you are a KISS fan, so I think you probably understand a little bit that there's problems somewhere along the line. As a, as a what? As a KISS fan? Yeah, just being being sarcastic and being a KISS fan, you know, because they're, you know, that's a, that's uh, yeah, a band. Yeah, well, that's... you know, they had, they had, I think I think the problem is if you're being together for so long and you realise that some people are very, very different, um, you know, it's, <laughs> I think they're quite known to have their differences. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it is what it is. I mean, I don't know if I would be able to work with with people that are in a certain way. I mean, of course, when substance abuse comes mm. into 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 play, then it it can. I mean, then different rules have to be applied because that that makes things really difficult. Without and I want to be clear here. I don't want to judge anything i'm an outsider even in the kids world you know so um so i don't i don't really judge whatever problem they will have with each other yeah. no well dude i mean all these years that you've been a professional musician and playing all over the world i mean have you ever done any of those rock and roll cliches as uh, throwing out a tv out of a window at a hotel or something like that rarely <laughs> this, this is not this is not a straight no actually i've trashed one tv in my whole life and that was partly an accident and partly it was um it was fifa football on playstation right. uh, so, so that, was, that was not rock and roll that was very nerdy but it was still partly an accident um i, I once made a fire extinguisher go off in a hotel and um but i was very young and i think it was just i just wanted to know what it feels like to make a fire extinguisher go off and it was a collaboration with felix our drummer it was an edgar show in spain on a hotel floor and i i'm not proud of it but do i regret it no i know that oh. i don't derive great joy from making fire extinguishers go off but if I ever release a biography, I can dedicate seven words to that incident. <laughs> and I've never been, no, I've never been really doing, uh, I've never been into heavy drugs and not even into easy drugs. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I had my glass of red wine and I've had a couple too many at times, but nothing seriously, nothing really 
No, I think I think it doesn't. You know, you know, living the rock and roll lifestyle doesn't really leave much room to um, to uh, to enjoying what you do in the long run, and, and right. that's that's what I prefer. I become a bit square here. That sounds a bit Gene Simmons ish. <laughs>
back, back to the record, uh, the opening track, Welcome to the Shadows, um, only has you as a vocalist on that. Um, again, was that clear when you were writing it that you just wanted to, to keep that just, um, it was just for your vocals? No, actually not. Actually, I thought I thought it should be it should be some eerie voice, some something really sinister. Um, I had no particular person to sing it in mind, but I wanted to have something creepy and something like an actor almost. But then I sent the demo to Sasha, and Sasha said it's perfect the way it is, and we didn't even fix anything. I sent the demo to him. We didn't touch any tuning, and we didn't do any editing. We didn't re re-record any of those vocals. He just said, Oh, let me take it. Let me take it. Let me put it on the music and let's take it the way it is. And I said, Okay, good, great. I start the album myself again. Of course, I have the power to make those decisions myself as well. Yeah. But when Sasha approves it, it gives me a feeling of, I can say in the interviews, you know, if you ask me, I don't have the ego to do that but sasha my co-producer he demanded he was insisting on it so of course i have to do it the way he insists and he suggests um but yeah i think i did a great job i have to say i'm, I'm really happy i'm in general very happy with my vocal performance on the album um it it's uh, it's i think um, i think i'm not a lousy singer um and and I think it shows on the new album. <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah, the, the album's great. The album's really great. Thank you. Uh, close you the know, track. That, you know, may, may I say something? Yep. I mean, yeah. this is a podcast, and I say something like that, and then there's a gap of one minute, and you go, Oh yeah, 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 definitely. That sounds like I'm pointing with a with a gun at you. It's just like this is not very convincing. We should do this again. I'm gonna say it again. And I'm gonna say, and you're gonna react enthusiastic about it. I think, honestly speaking, I think my vocal performance on this record. I don't want to blow my own trumpet because you know I I, I don't hold myself in such a high esteem. But I think my vocal performance on this record is not bad at all as well. Well, your vocal performance is, is always good, Toby. So you've got such a high bar to hit and you've definitely succeeded that bar this time around for sure. I agree. I agree. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, that's kind of true. You know, your your bar is pretty set high, you know, when it comes to Edguy and Avantasia, you know, um, in regards uh, yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, you know, my voice, is, my voice is quite... And that has been annoying me for years. I have to... This is honest now. Um, yep. it's been annoying me for years that my voice sounds like there were always singers that sounded like somebody I admired. And I was not one of those singers that sounded like somebody I admired. I sounded, frankly, I sounded like nobody I had heard before. And that was really annoying. Um, there was always, some, you know, Yorn sounds like, um, like a perfect version crossing of between David Coverdale and, and Ronnie James Dio. But Yorn can always, he can sound like himself as well. And, you know, all these singers that I admire sounded like somebody else I admire. And my voice was always like, okay, but I want to be a singer myself. So what can I do? But I, I have made peace with that throughout the years because now I think, well, I sound like myself. Nobody sounds like me. I can, I got quite a good range. I can imitate some of the singers that I work with and some of the singers I admire. I, on a bad night, I sound quite a bit rough and it hurts a little bit sometimes in your teeth. 
but but on a good night i can be quite fine and um it's it's so i i had to make peace with my voice i have to say but now i'm happy i can say everything i want to say artistically even though i don't sound like glenn hughes and that's a shame well, well no one no one sounds like glenn hughes especially at glenn hughes's age um but also a beauty a beauty about your voice is um that it can complement something someone like flora you can sing with jeff tate or you could sing with Bob Catley or, or Rennie Atkins or something like that. Whereas a lot of people who have a really distinctive voice could wouldn't be able to sing with such a multitude of, of different artists. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's if 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 that's. I mean, I think I think if you've got the right producer, everybody can work with everybody. I don't know if it always sounds uh, sounds right or it sounds a bit off, but um, I think you can make it work. But as I said, I'm. I'm I'm really happy, and I think um, I'm, what I'm surprised about, or what I'm happy with, a surprise sounds as if, as if I wouldn't have expected it to work. But I'm really, really um, happy with how great, for instance, floors and my voice um, wrap each other around each other, or wrap wrap around each other. Uh, it's it's really it's, they 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 become one performance and it sounds really on uh, spot on and, and it doesn't sound strange or like, like dissonant. And that's something. And, and the same in the next song you sing with Michael Kiske or I sing with Michael Kiske and it's the same thing. So, and even with Bob, it's, it's really, I'm, I'm happy that on this record, it's, it's outstanding. I think how great the voices, as you said, how great the voices work with each other. A sweet embrace in a distant dream Where did I take a wrong turn from a close to far away A crowded room, yellow cave Stare at those names in charcoal's Shivering, afraid of the rain That might wash away The heart that I pain Around the name And leave an empty Spot inside my soul And I won't contemplate it I'd have thought the devil to be The one that you need And I'm giving
last question, uh, and then so you can move on. Um, there's also a Swedish connection in regards to the illustrator for the for the album cover. How did how did you guys meet? Um, I saw his pictures, uh, his his artworks on the internet, and um, I found them strange because they were they were so playful, but at the same time they were quirky, and they 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 looked a bit lonely and and solitary. There was a lot of solitude in the artworks, but it was cute. And at the same time, he had this dark hues, this dark blue and, and dark green. And it was very imaginative. And I thought, okay, this is for children's books. What if he paints something for a for a, an eerie, fantastic heavy metal or rock record? And I got in touch with him. And um, what I thought was funny is that I explained everything to him and what I was doing and what I was looking for. And if he could come up with something quirky and sinister, but while not abandoning his own handwriting and his style. And I, I was trying to explain what kind of music I play. And he said, oh, yeah, I know. Vainglory Opera. I have this album. Uh, it's an guy album, right? Yep. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you're doing. So... I have the feeling that in Sweden, everybody is into rock music. And when he came up with his first suggestion for the Moonglow record, that was during the Moonglow previous record, Alexander Janssen, his first rendition. I remember I was lying on the sofa watching TV, which rarely happens, but I was doing it. And I got a text message with the first version of the first artwork for the Moonglow album. I was in love. And I said, this is absolutely exactly what I had in mind. And the same for, for this new album. I think we did it for the Paranormal Evening with the Moonflower Society. I think uh, it was the second, the second draft that he had sent. The first draft was something else. And uh, he, I think the, the, the piece that ended up on the cover artwork, which I think is amazing, that was first, it was to be the back cover um, with an empty stage. Not, and, but I said, oh, let's make it the front cover. Just put the Moonflower Society in there. And here is another thing that is very difficult about the working process. I mean, this album is about the Moonflower Society, which is um, an equivalent or metaphor for the um, imaginative or the, the entities that I surround myself when I lock the studio door behind me. The um, the my my inspirations and muses and the ghosts and 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 entities that surround me and take me into their world when I'm becoming creative, and I told him like, paint the Moonflower Society. And now when you do something like that, there's a big risk you will end up doing Spinal Tap, because you still have to tickle people's imagination by creating strange fellows of the Moonflower Society. And I said, make it surreal, make it playful, like in a, in a, in a scissor cut theater, playful and weird and a bit uh, creepy, but make it, make it still quirky and surreal. And he came up with those characters and I said, Alexander, this is exactly what it has to be like. I was so happy. A great artist who's usually doing children's books. Um, and um, yeah, fortunately, he agreed and accepted the offer to, to draw for Amtasia. Amtasia. 